With less than 24 hours left before the 2020 United States elections, Real Talk with Theo Korlev gives you a behind-the-scenes listen to a Zoom call between two young political enthusiasts, Joe and Luke, as they discuss the following questions about this presidential campaign. Please note that this was recorded on July 3rd and that things might have changed since then. We did this so that all you listeners could exactly see how four months in the world of politics could alter each candidate's chances in being the new president of the United States. Our goal here on Real Talk was to create an atmosphere where people have the freedom to express themselves and their knowledge to the world. Therefore, we kindly ask all listeners to enjoy the show and listen in a positive light. We understand that not all would agree to all the statements that you're about to hear. However, we ask for the protection of this wonderful panel that if you have any questions or concerns, you should reach out to Real Talk with Theo Korlev on our website and we will address them as soon as possible. Politics is a very sensitive topic nowadays in America, but we hope you get to enjoy your listen and potentially learn something new because that is exactly what this show is about. Now, sit back, relax, and make sure you vote tomorrow. Theo say what? Theo Brobsky, when we get spasticated, we chat shit. That's what, that's what I want in this country. Now for question two. Will voter suppression play a role in the outcome of 2020 presidential race? Why do you think people are not voting? Will the Electoral College again trump, and by all means, no pun intended, the popular vote? Hmm. I'll let Joe answer this one first. Sure, thanks. Um, I mean, I kind of have to think about it for a little. Hmm. Um, Will voter suppression play a role in the outcome of the 2020 presidential race? I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't think I have any reason to believe so. I think that voter suppression is a very legitimate issue. And we've seen a lot of, especially, you know, red states purging their voter rolls, having strict identification requirements. And um, a lot of that plays into voter suppression. But I really I, I think maybe in a closer election, it would have, you know, had, had some sort of consequences. But I, I think in, a, in an election where, as we mentioned before, where Biden is so far ahead right now, I really don't think that voter suppression will, it, it can help bridge the gap, of course, but I don't think that voter suppression will actually, you know, dictate the outcome of the 2020 presidential race, because it would it would be too little and honestly too late at this point. Also, I think voter suppression tends to occur in states that are already pretty deeply red anyway. I, I, I can't really see any states, as, as far as I can tell from the research that I've done, I can't really see any states flipping blue in this election that also have serious, you know, and very vicious and legitimate histories of voter suppression and current voter suppression going on. So um, I, I think that voter suppression might play a role in giving Trump a wider victory, a broader victory in already very deeply red states. But I don't know to what extent it's going to affect like purple or blue states. 
Yeah, um, I think I'm more inclined to believe. I'm not sure if it'll affect the outcome just because right now, as we stand, Biden's up by so much. Um, so, and like voter suppression isn't going to suppress all the Democratic vote, obviously. It's just going to take trim, trim some trim some votes around the edges. But in terms of purple states, um, I push back on that a little bit. And just because of Texas and Georgia are now considered purple states. And obviously, we know that Stacey Abrams running in 2018 that Brian Kemp and uh, the Republicans in Georgia will go to lengths to suppress Democratic turnout. But um, I would also like to kind of address the why people aren't voting, because um, I think this could change a lot in 2020 for a few reasons. One, um, in times of crisis and times of turmoil, of people voter turnout increases um in 2008 i think it was around like 60 percent voter turnout right after the the recession the start of the recession and um i think we could see a turnout just because of that but also i think an underrated um uh aspect of voting in 2020 that is going to cause a lot of controversy and um hopefully a larger turnout is mail-in voting and mail-in voting is going to be the, the big, you could already kind of see the writing on the wall with the Trump campaign. They're already getting ready to say, oh, all these are frauds, these mail-in ballots, like they're, anybody could vote. Like he's going to probably be saying illegals are voting. He's going to be saying that like just convicts are, he's going to be saying like there's so many widespread fraud. And because this is probably going to be the first election where there's going to be such a high percentage of mail-in votes. And um, so I think if anything, that's more of a concern. It's more of a concern that people, at, uh, especially like Trump's hardcore base and, and Trump himself even, will just not really accept the results because they'll say that it's fraudulent and, and, and rife with corruption and whatever. Like he, it, it, it's, not, it's not hard to picture a scenario where, where, where Trump goes on a tweet storm about that on election night. And, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think mail-in voting is going to be the big it's kind of a big unknown in this race because we've never really had a situation where um there's going to be so many mail-in votes and such such a demand for mail-in ballots too and um are we going to know the results on election night or does it take a while to count it count the mail-in ballots that are coming in and um you kind of saw this in kentucky with mcgrath and charles booker there were um a large percentage of the ballots cast in that race were mail-in Vote, vote so we didn't excuse me so we didn't know who uh won until a week after and will that play into the uh presidential election in in the fall and that, that's going to be very interesting to see because americans aren't used to get, having a week after the election where they don't know who won the only thing i can think of is in 2000 which of course everybody knows what happened in 2000 that bush gore recounts in florida supreme court finally settles it about about a month, maybe a month and a half later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's the only, and that, that election was insanely controversial. Mm-hmm. And um, so it it's gonna, I think mail-in voting is going to stress the system, not because it's inherently fraudulent, but because the perceptions and the, and the, uh, and the time it takes to count the ballots, it's gonna, it's just gonna be different for everybody. Mm-hmm. And um it's going to be interesting if people could accept that or if people are going to push back against that. 
Yeah, I'm I'm very much frightened of what Trump and his base might do, or might might be able to no, not necessarily accomplish. Like I, I I don't think any material gains will come out of them, you know, yelling about how the le- election wasn't legitimate because I think still the majority will believe in that institution and like there's not going to be any kind of, you know, not nothing's going to happen from their you know bickering about the subject. But I do think that just uh, one of the most fundamental, you know, the democracy doesn't work if people don't have trust in who won by the election, mm. right? And I think it's really, really troubling that so many people could theoretically see, you know, a certain victor in the election that they didn't vote for, that they didn't want, and then just say, no, he's not the president, because I don't believe that. I think, you know, it's just, I, I kind of have no words on the subject because it's just so perplexing and also just really, really deeply terrifying that, you know, I, I feel like a lot of authoritarian, you know, a lot of declines into authoritarianism happen for similar reasons because people slowly get disillusioned with the democratic system. Not to say that that'll, you know, happen immediately right after uh, Biden or Trump, right after the 2020 election. But as people lose faith in democratic institutions, and I think we see that happening more and more, and it might get seriously exacerbated in the 2020 election with mail-in voting, I think you have serious, serious problems with, you know, the nature of democracy itself and the nature of what we have now as our political institution. Mm -hmm. I would like to, uh, yeah, kind of add on to that. And an important uh thing that everybody kind of should be paying attention to is how republican establishment figures like mitch mcconnell and is how they react to the 2020 race if if because it could i i could see a scenario in which trump says oh like he loses by a large margin um and but he's trump's still going tweeting about uh mail-in voting and how bad it is and how corrupt it is but i could see a scenario where that's when the republicans start to break after the election's already done after they realize like biden is going to be president like like we gotta like maybe go against trump what trump's saying and try to like kill the country and that that that's obviously the best way to go if if trump starts to starts to start in on questioning the legitimacy but um Another aspect of this question that um, kind of caught my eye was the uh, electoral vote and the popular vote, and if there's going to be like any kind of discrepancies in there. And I think pretty outright, Donald Trump's or not Donald Trump, Joe Biden is going to win the popular vote. I don't think anybody's going to argue with that. He's up almost ten points now um, in the popular vote nationwide. And if Trump is going to win the presidency, he's going to have to win electoral college just like everybody's gonna have to win um but he's gonna have to look at the map and find out where he could win he's gonna have to joe mentioned this earlier he's gonna have to win in the rust belt which again he's down in all different states in the rust belt and and in michigan like it's not even close in some polls in some polls it's like four two two four six points and at some points it's like over well over double digits for lead for biden and like the electoral colleges requires you to win in a lot of places. And I'm not sure if Trump has the diverse appeal to win in a lot of places this election. And that will, I think, haunt him 
more than anything because he doesn't just have his base of of people in deep red states. He also has to win over moderates who might have just taken a chance on him in 2016. And and I think there's a lot of that. There are a lot of people who are like, we don't like Hillary Clinton. We think she's corrupt. We think she's not honest. We think she's scripted. Whatever. They we're just gonna take a chance on Donald Trump because. Also, a lot of people who voted for Trump in, in 2016, which I don't think a lot of people realize, is these were a lot of people who were disproportionately like affected by the Great Recession and, and people who have just kind of been kicked in the teeth the last 10 years, kind of maybe like under Obama, but like not like maybe because of Obama. Like, but mm-hmm. the, like that's kind of what they projected their blame onto. Yeah. Um, I, know, I know a lot of people were really bad with the Obama administration for bailing out banks which I would argue had to be done to save the banking industry, but also what he should have done is like kind of do a stimulus check kind of thing and like kind of give other people a piece of the pie instead of having people get foreclosed, their homes foreclosed upon by the banks. And then the government bails out these banks and people are like, where's my money? Like, why isn't the government helping me? Like, this is, this is bullshit. Like this is not how government's supposed to work. Government's supposed to be for the people. And I think, Obama yep. lost a lot of people from that. And it's going to be interesting to see. And this is a very important point I want to make. I think the election is, for in terms of the health of our country, it's going to be really interesting to see if there are Trump to Biden voters. Because if Biden just wins by turning out more Democrats, by firing up, or Trump turns out more Democrats just by firing up more Democratic voters, and we'll see this in the exit polls, and Trump just ignites like a huge wave of people who didn't vote in 2016 against him and Biden wins that way. That's that, that I would be fine for Biden. But I think what Biden wants to do is Biden wants to get those people who voted for Trump in 2016 onto his camp because that kind of brings America closer together. That kind of like helps ease the partisan divide. And that's, I think how Biden wants to govern. Biden wants to genuinely kind of bring everybody along into the process. And he's he's worked with people of all ideologies, and um, yeah, I think I think it, it's he needs to win Trump's supporters too, and I think that that's very important for both the health of our country and how Joe Biden governs. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I I, I basically agree with everything you said, and um, I think in even more maybe tangential point, um, I. Especially if Biden does end up winning by converting a lot of Republican voters, converting a lot of either moderate or Republican voters, they're like Trump to Biden vote, as you mentioned. I, if Biden wins, especially that way, I, I think there's a lot of directions into which the Republican Party could go after mm. this election. I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see what strategy they adopt, because there are a lot of people saying that Trump completely changed the game. That like the that because of you know because so many people watch Fox News, but also because of fundamentally the effectiveness of his strategy, like we will see a lot of Trump copycats. We will see a lot of people you know who employ the same strategies he did because they were so effective. But I think it's also entirely possible that we're kind of going to see a split in the Republican Party. We're going to see the like. Republicans that decide, okay, it worked for Trump, it'll work for me, and the Republicans that try to appeal to the common sense voter, to the like more moderate voter that's trying to understand 
uh, why Trump won and trying to distance the Republican Party away from that. And um, I, I think in that case, the Republican Party could have a lot of infighting and have to do a lot of reconstruction over the next several years and figure out what their strategy is going to be. So I think this is going to be a really, really, really important election, um, even about democratic strategy, because we saw the progressive moderate divide in the democratic primaries. And a lot of progressives are currently disillusioned with what Biden is doing. So are they going to try to reel progressives in? Is the democratic party going to shift even more leftward? I think there's going to be a lot because Trump shook the game up so much, or possibly even because it was all coming to this eventually, I think the Democratic and Republican parties, I think we're going to see really big changes, maybe in a positive way, but also maybe in a really negative way. Yeah, I I really like uh, where this is going with the finding out where um, Republicans are going to try to think about where Republicans might be after this. If Trump loses, um, the, I think you're going to see it's going to be kind of like the democratic party in 2016 where the Republican party will be a largely leaderless party and they're going to, and it's who, and you're kind of already starting to see lanes. Like if you kind of follow politics, you kind of see like the undercurrents and kind of seeing like how senators and governors who are positioning themselves to run in 2024, what they're kind of doing, what kind of camps they're putting themselves in. And you're seeing camps like the, the Josh Hollies and Tom Cotton's of the world where they're like young, they, uh, they're more populist and they agree with Trump on a lot of policy, but they're also, uh, Ivy league educated. They're also very smart and well-spoken and just kind of the intellectual young Trump. And, um, will that, will that those guys get some sun and will those guys become the new face of the party and try to bring along like, trying to trying to trying to you know close the generational gap between democrats and republicans because right now gen z by a large margin identify and vote democrat and republicans just don't have any of that with gen z or millennials or will you see them go with maybe like mike pence mike pence could be seen as he could be the unifier the the joe biden if you will of the republican party where he can speak to the trump people because he's worked with trump he's was in the trump white house or he could also be classical conservative he's very conservative on 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 social issues and on on, uh economic issues and so he could really kind of create like a broad coalition in 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 the primaries and he could kind of become the standard bearer for the party and what does that mean for for the social uh discourse in the country that you have one candidate who if mike pence gets it like you're gonna have one candidate who has in the past advocated for gay conversion therapy and like where where do the democrats go from there is the democrat response to that to moderate themselves and and get some voters that would be disillusioned by pence or would they try to counter pence and go more lefty and um yeah i, I I'm, it's very fascinating to see but you're kind of already starting to see these 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 lanes kind of get started in both the democratic side and the republican side yeah, 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 no, I totally agree with that. And um, I, I think uh, Pence candidacy um, is also very interesting to consider for a lot of reasons, but possibly because of uh, party reunification. Um, I, I, you know, I, I basically everything you mentioned, what the Democrats are going to respond with. First of all, I think he's going to be, if he ends up running in 2024, and if he ends up being the nominee, which I think there's a pretty decent chance of that happening, um, I think he's going to be an extremely divisive candidate yeah. because I think 
you know, because of his history with social conservatism and because of his extremely like hardline conservative beliefs, um, he's definitely going to push a lot of people on the left, either further left or he's, he's going to inspire basically a lot of anger and frustration. But, you know, obviously he's going to inspire anger and frustration from Democrats and people you know, on the left who are more socially progressive and on the right who are more socially progressive. But um, I think what could be interesting is, you know, Pence isn't totally a Republican, you know, counterpart to Biden just because he has an association with Trump. So he kind of has inroads to the more like populist, harder right-wing community. But I do think to an extent, what a lot of those people voted on is the sense that a lot of politicians are getting like pasty. A lot of politicians are getting, becoming more politician than they are human. Mm-hmm. And I think Pence is very much a politician. Yeah. He, he, get, he gets up to the podium. He makes, you know, the very standard speech that's kind of expected from him with the very, you know, seasoned politician inflections, words of a seasoned politician, beliefs of a seasoned politician, even like facial expressions of a seasoned politician. So I think a lot of um, a lot of Trump supporters could very, e- and people around that camp could very easily even turn against Pence in a way, even though Pence has connections to Trump, a candidate that they so like, because of what Pence represents to them. Pence also sort of represents the boring, typical establishment candidate that they feel has been like lying to them and has failed them in so many ways. Yeah. Um, I would just like to get one, one more uh, thing in there. Um, it will be interesting to see if, if people who supported Trump still um, don't want to have a politician run them because if, if Trump loses and if Trump loses by a landslide, and and Trump is perceived to have bungled the coronavirus response, and maybe uh, Trump supporters will be like, okay, like you do need kind of someone who is outwardly competent and can speak well, and and Mike Pence is all of those things. Mike Pence is a lot of things, but he is also competent and can speak well, mm-hmm. and um, so it's he could maybe say like, I I will give I'll provide all the same deliverables that Trump did. But I will also not be like going on Twitter rants at 3 a.m. And that might, after if Trump gets trounced in the election, Republicans are going to want to win. And mm-hmm. uh, will they see that as a necessary concession to make to Democrats that they're not going to nominate someone who is as outlandish as Trump? And mm-hmm. kind of as how the Democrats wanted to win with Biden. So they, uh, I think a lot of Democrats um, thought that Biden could win. Uh, and it was the best candidate in the general election against Trump. Maybe not thought that he would govern the best, but I think Biden was helped a lot with this idea of electability. And yeah. would Pence being a politician help or hurt um, his electability perception is is a question that's still left to be decided, I think. Perfect. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming to the show. This was Luke and Joe. Thank you, guys. My corn, 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 corn